The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. So if you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 6, verse 15? And we're going to continue this series that we've started in our church called There's a Miracle for Your House. And we've started this series the beginning of August. And, um, and we're still going. And uh, there's only seven miracles in the book of John that are recorded. So this whole series is opening up each one of the miracles in the book of John. And John specifically targets seven of the miracles because the New Testament records well over 30 miracles and and John himself says that if we're to write on every miracle that Jesus did there wouldn't be enough books to be able to house all the descriptions of the miracles that he did and even though he says that he still only focuses on seven and the big question is why seven oh I'm glad you asked that Because in the seven, there's a revelation of the deity of Jesus. So the whole purpose of John is to open up that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Matter of fact, he starts the book of John with the description, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so he begins the book with this desire to get us to understand that Jesus was not just a human being, but he was actually God manifest in the flesh. He's fully divine, fully human. And in understanding that, it opens up to us amazing revelation of God with us. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. How awesome it is to have God with us. Well, this miracle in John chapter 6 is the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. How many of you know that story? You learned it in Sunday school. How many of you heard the miracle of Jesus walking on water? Well, we're going to open it up today. Maybe you're going to hear stuff that you've never heard before about how this relates to us. So if you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 6? And we'll read from verses 15 to 21. This is what it says. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Just give you a bit of background. It's connected to the feeding of the 5,000. So so after they fed the 5,000, everybody thought, wow, imagine having Jesus as king. We wouldn't have to work anymore. He could feed us for free. How awesome is that? Quick, let's make him king. And Jesus, perceiving that, says, no, let me back away because my time hasn't come. And so he goes to a mountain by himself alone. Now, let me just press pause there for a second because the story of Jesus walking on the water is also recorded in Matthew, the 14th chapter of Matthew, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. And both Matthew and Mark explain that when Jesus went to the mountain, he went there to pray. So John leaves that out, but I just need to point that out, that when he went there alone, he went there to pray. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. 
But Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Wow, what's, what's all this about? Why did John include this miracle, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water in his seven miracles in John? There's only seven. Next week, we're going to be doing the healing of the blind man. Then in November sometime, we'll be doing the last miracle, which is the, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But what's the significance of this Jesus walking on the water? Okay, let me give you a bit of background. So what we've got here is Jesus up on a mountain. He's praying. The disciples ready to go back to Capernaum where their base is. They were probably in a town called Tiberias, which is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, we in our language, we call it a lake. It's 21 kilometers long. It's 13 kilometers wide. So at the widest point is 13 kilometers. It gets narrower the further south you go. So, so to go from Tiberias to Capernaum, they would, which is on the western side and Capernaum is on the northern side, they would normally skirt the land, get close to the land. But there is a valley on the western side that connects with the Mediterranean Sea. I've actually been there and seen this. It's, it's quite amazing when you actually go to Israel and you're able to see the Bible stories come alive. It's awesome. So here I'm preaching to you and I can see the Sea of Galilee. I can see the two mountain ranges on the western side with the valley in between. And so when we were there, our guide would say that what would happen is this, is that on many occasions, a wind would rise up in the Mediterranean and blow through this valley and the valley would become a wind tunnel. And when it hit the Sea of Galilee, it would create havoc. And so here's this day, the disciples get into the boat and they're, they're rowing and they're skirting the, the, the seashore to get to Capernaum North and all of a sudden, kaboom, out of left field, this storm arises and it is a severe storm and it starts blowing them further and further away from land into the middle of the lake and they didn't want to get to the middle of the lake they wanted to get to the northern part of the of of the lake and they are in incredible fear they're rowing rowing water's coming in it's dark it's very clear that it's dark they can't see anything there's no torches or matches or lights everything's getting blown over blown away they, they they know that they're not getting closer to land they're getting further away from land and they're thinking maybe this is the end and jesus is on a mountain praying jesus is on a mountain praying aware maybe through the lightning he could see where they were maybe through the lightning every now and then he'd get a glimpse of what was going on but I, I want to share a few things with you about the background to this and what Jesus does. So point number one is this. Life will always test us. Everybody say life will always test us. Huge storms arise in our lives out of left field on a regular basis. None of us plan to be in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a tempest, 
Every one of us plan nice, relaxed cruises. How many of you like nice, relaxed cruises? My wife especially likes nice, relaxed cruises. She prays specifically for no storms to arise. All of us want nice, relaxed cruises. But every now and then, out of left field, a storm arises. Something that we don't expect. How many of you have got a phone call in the middle of the night and, and your heart just almost stops beating because you got news that you weren't expecting? How many of you... Oh, I tell you, it's just, it's just terrible. I, I can still remember um, being just going to bed. It was the 9th. How about this? I can actually remember the date. It was the 9th of October, 1997. Anne and I had just come from... Uh, being on holidays with the parents in Queensland. We just arrived home. We'd just gone to bed. We just switched off the lights. We were just lying in bed, not quite asleep yet, and the phone rings. How many of you love it when the phone rings late at night? How many of you, you always, your heart always misses a beat? And on the other end of the phone, um, quick come, your dad has just had terrible occurrence. How's, 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 how's dad? Well, you need to come. As soon as you hear those words, and that's Newcastle, you need to come and bring your sister with you. You know that things aren't well. So they hadn't told me at that moment that my father had passed away. But that was the case. When we were in the car, we phoned up. Well, how's dad? How's dad? Well, he's not. they didn't even want to tell us because they thought we were going to have an accident on the way up to Newcastle. But we knew in our hearts that dad had passed away was just a storm. It was the beginning of a storm because it was just such a huge storm for our lives when he's the person that's been a pillar in your life from the day you were born and now is gone. And then it's not just about me, it's about my mother. My mother at that time was young. She was only 60 years of age and she's still young. What would happen to her? And, and you start thinking about all these things and a storm rages. You're not expecting it. It comes out of left field. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That in this world, stuff happens. And when stuff happens, you need to stop asking a particular question of God that a lot of us ask, and we need to start asking another question that a lot of us don't ask. Well, what's the question we need to stop asking? Here it is. Why is this happening to me? How many of you know what I'm talking about? When stuff happens, it's like the first question that we ask is, why is this happening to me? Because we want a cause to the storm. Can I just say to you that stuff happens sometimes without a cause. Matter of fact, can I say to you that most time stuff happens without a cause. Can I just say to you that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Now some of you want me to say, no, 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 turn that around. Good stuff happens to good people. Bad stuff happens to bad people. Now, let, let me make it very clear. Good and bad happens to good and bad. Come on. Have you ever heard anybody win the lottery or win big at the casino? What have they done to deserve it? Nothing. They just, chance happens, stuff happens. It's not just good people that have good luck 
or good fortune or good things happen. And then, and then go to Royal North Shore Hospital and interview the people there. It's not just the bad people that are sitting in hospital. So it's like, what, the, the people that win big are good people? The people that are sick are bad people? No. There's good and bad happens to good and bad. So stop asking the question, why has this happened to me? And just understand, it's a test. So then the question that you ask is not, why is this happening to me? But what are you trying to teach me? And it changes everything. As soon as you ask, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? Then you accept that you're in a test. And as soon as you accept that you're in a test, your whole perspective changes. So what are you trying to teach me? in all this. So he's, he's my father. Though. He was a good man. He was an elder in a church. He hadn't done anything wrong. He was 73 years of age. But now he's, he's, he's no longer there. But you know what? He wasn't complaining. He was in heaven with Jesus. It was the rest of us that were complaining. Why is this happening to me? You know, everybody has a beginning. Everybody has an end. But God's trying to teach us something in between. So it's not, why is this happening to me? But why are you trying to teach me through it all? And so through that period of time, both Anne and I learned incredibly valuable lessons that we still use today. And, and it was during that season that Anne learned firsthand about grief at a level that she'd never experienced before. And how many times have you used the lessons that you learned at my father's death to help people? Over and over and over again. And I still hear her teach pastors using the illustrations of what she learned during my father's death. And I mean, nobody wanted that to happen, but it happened. And when it happens, it's, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you trying for me to learn through this? Because life is a test. And if you don't get that, and because let me tell you something... What people try to do is to try to tell you that life is about the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Well, what the heck does that mean? And how would you define that? Because you go to places in Africa and they're happier than we are. And they haven't got anywhere near what we have. So, so happiness has got nothing to do... I was watching a program the other day about pygmies pygmies and he's the interviewer and these people man they live in grass huts they hunt they collect they've got hardly anything certainly don't have cars or fridges or washing machines or microwaves or televisions and this is what the commentator said i have never in all my life seen happier people so don't just get this out of your system that life is about the pursuit of happiness what does that mean Because more often than not, we define happiness by the things that we own. And so we need more things to be happy. What a load of rubbish. You're being deceived if you think that you need more things. Because let me tell you something. I've got a heap more things than I had when I was a kid. But it's not necessarily... And and let me tell you, they've actually done surveys on laughter. And they find this, that a kid laughs at least 16 times a day. You know how, how many times an adult laughs? They've done surveys on adults. Have you have, have a guess? A lot less than a kid. Three times a day. <laughs> yeah. And some of you don't even do that. <laughs> Turn to the person and say, not you. You laugh a lot more than that. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's hope so. Well, at least you're laughing now. Well, some of you are. Some of you are still looking at me miserably. <laughs> ah, glory to God. Okay. That's the first thing I want to say, that life will always test you. Number two, second thing I want to say to you is that Jesus is always watching us. Jesus is always watching us. This is something that the disciples didn't understand because they were in the dark. They were in the storm. They felt alone. How many of you ever felt alone? How many of you ever been in a storm and it's dark and you feel alone? But can I just say to you, that the Bible is very clear that he will never leave us nor forsake us. How many of you know that? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there watching. And even though, and even though the disciples didn't know it, Jesus was on the mountain. He was praying for them and watching out for them. How about that? I love that. John chapter 17 is, 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 a, is a chapter on the high priestly prayer, the prayer that Jesus was praying. And, and you know what touches me when I read John chapter 17 is that he was not only praying for the disciples at that time, he was praying for me. I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't even conceived yet. And here's Jesus praying for me in John chapter 17. He was praying about those that were to come. He's praying about me. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that even right now, Jesus is always interceding for us. So you, you, you know what you're going through right now? Some of you are facing a huge storm. Some of you are facing a huge trial. But you know what? Jesus is watching. Jesus is there. And Jesus is praying. He's praying for you. But we're not just talking about little, little courtesy prayers. He's praying intercessory prayers for you. He's praying intercessory prayers for you. I see David Hilbagian here. Dave, David Hilbagian, every time he goes to an exam, he actually texts me to pray for him. Now, David is expecting me to stop everything and get on my knees and pray intercessory prayers for at least an hour, fast and everything. And I'm just saying, Lord, just help him in Jesus' name. Just help him, Lord. He needs all the help he can get. Amen. But there's no tears, okay? There's no stomping the ground. I'm telling you now, David, I know that I'm just breaking, you know, all of your perceptions of your pastor. No, no keep texting because I, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But intercession is something else. Intercession is about passion. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. And it's like prayer is the beginning, but intercession. There are times, many times, where I move from praying to interceding. And I know when, I've, when I'm doing that. How many of you know when you've moved from praying to interceding? Because you just get into, a pa into another dimension of passion. And I, I just know that when I get into intercession, my heart starts to break. The tears start to flow down my eyes. But I can't say that I do that every single day. But the Bible says that when Jesus thinks about us, he's interceding for us. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, interceding. So here it is. 
They were oblivious that he was there. They were in the dark. They were in the night. Can I just say that in in Matthew and Mark, it tells us that Jesus ends up getting to them at the fourth watch, which is about 3 a.m. Okay? So what what does that imply? That implies it was evening when they got into the boat. Jesus didn't get to them until 3 a.m. So we're talking about nine hours of struggling in a boat in the sea. How many of you know that nine hours struggling in a boat in the sea in a storm seems like an eternity? Hello? When you're facing death, when you're facing drowning, it's an eternity. Now, I want you to think about this for a little while. Why is that? Because Jesus knew from the moment they were in trouble that they were in trouble. But he didn't go to them immediately. How many of you got a problem with that? How many of you got, seriously, how many of you got a problem with that? Come on, because we want instant everything. And what this shows us is that life is a test. If you get instant everything, there's nothing you learn. What are you going to learn when you get instant everything? And so here's Jesus saying, okay, I'm just going to keep praying for you. And what is he praying? He's praying, Lord, let them learn something in this. Let them pass the test. Let them not give up. Let them not abandon their faith. And so here they are rowing, doing everything they can, just rowing, rowing. And and you know what happens? They're getting further away, further away from land, further and further away. Now they're in the middle of the lake. And if you look at a map from Tiberius to Capernaum, you don't go via the middle of the lake. But what's happening is that this wind is just blowing them, blowing them. They're getting in the middle of the lake. And now this is the deepest part of the lake. They can't save themselves. That's either God's going to save them or they're going to drown. And the Bible tells us that at 3 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the dark, Jesus walks down the mountain. Get hold of this. He walks down the mountain, gets onto the beach, puts his foot into that water and starts walking across the water. Six kilometers, six kilometers of walking on water to get to them. Six kilometers of walking on water to get to them. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I look at the ends that he went to to get to them. The means that he took to get to them. He walked on water. He did the impossible to resolve their impossibility. He did what was impossible to communicate to them. Whatever you are seeing that's impossible, I'll do the impossible to resolve your impossible. How many of you are facing impossible situation right now? Some of you are facing bad news. Some of you are facing family breakup. Some of you want to buy a house in Sydney, and it looks impossible. I mean, it's the definition of impossibility to you. Now, in Sydney, the average house price has gone over a million dollars. Never in my wildest dream did I ever think that just the average house in Sydney would be a million dollars. It's like only millionaires have million-dollar homes. And now it's like, well, no, just blue-collar workers have million-dollar homes. How do you manage to do that on your salary? It's impossible. 
God's in the business of making possible what's impossible. That's what this story is all about. God is willing to do the impossible to connect to your impossible to prove to you that all things are possible to those who believe. But you know what? What I love about this is that he's Jesus saying, I love you enough to do the impossible. I love you enough to walk on water to get to you. But doesn't it remind you that he did something else to get to us? See, see, this is the thing. Here we see he left the security of the seashore to walk on water to get to them. But just recently, he left the security of heaven to walk across the universe to get to us. He took on the form of humanity He emptied himself in Philippians chapter 2. It's the kenosis, the emptying of his attributes that would have made it impossible for him to take on human flesh. You can read about it, that Jesus did this out of his love to step across the universe to get to us. And what we see here is the love of God and his willingness to step across the sea, to step across the universe. And then the beautiful, the most beautiful psalm that most of us can quote, Psalm 23. How many of you can quote Psalm 23? Where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So not only was Jesus willing to walk across the water, walk across the universe, but walk into the valley of the shadow of death with you, to be with you. You are never alone. His love reaches out to you. And then the thing that touches me the most, in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, it's a quote that the Apostles' Creed had. And in the Apostles' Creed, it talks about Jesus descending into hell. And it's a reference to Acts 2.31 in the old translation of the Bible. But these days, for us, hell literally means the the lake of fire. Let me explain just say to you very clearly, Jesus never went to the lake of fire, but he did go to Hades, which is the place of the dead. And back in those days, they translated Hades as hell. But you think about that. Jesus went to the place of the dead so he can release those that were there. Jesus descended. You can read about it in Ephesians chapter 4. He went to this place of the dead to preach the gospel. And, and, and in Luke, it talks about, remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. They were in the place of the dead. They were in Hades. And there's the rich man and Lazarus and, and, uh, and how they were separated. How many of you know the story where they were separated? Jesus actually went to that domain so he could release the righteous and bring them into heaven because now that the cross Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ people through his sacrifice could ascend into heaven and so now when we die we don't go to Hades we go into the presence of God the Bible says absent from the body present with the Lord I've just given you incredibly deep doctrine in about 30 seconds that normally takes me a couple of weeks to try to explain and if you haven't got it don't worry about it just remember this that Jesus goes to extraordinary lengths To get to you. Extraordinary lengths to get to you. What else do I want to say? Here it is. Three things that we need to do. Number one. Very clearly. Look for Jesus in your storm. The disciples had missed it. They were so focused on their storm they couldn't see Jesus. Matter of fact, when he turned up they thought he was a ghost. They were so focused on trying to get out of this storm 
that they weren't looking for Jesus. Matter of fact, they weren't even expecting him there. They just, their mind could not conceive that in the middle of the sea, Jesus would turn up. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you would be able to conceive that in the middle of the sea, Jesus would turn up? But he wanted to teach them something. That it didn't matter where they were, he wasn't that far away. Can we go a little bit deeper? Do you want to go a little bit deeper? How many of you want to go a bit deeper? Three of you. Okay, for the three of you that want to go a bit deeper. He was also trying to teach them that he was the God of creation. He wanted to teach them that their confidence in him was actually putting confidence in the creator of the universe. You say, how do you get that? Watch, watch the similarity when you open up to Genesis chapter 1. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here it is. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness, face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. How many of you can see a connection between deep waters, darkness? And here it is, the opening of the Bible, the creator who comes to the chaos. With what purpose? To bring order in the midst of chaos and he spoke let there be light and there was light and then he started to bring order in the midst of chaos how many of you know that John wasn't doing this by accident he was beginning to show them that Jesus was the God of creation he was the God who was in the beginning in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and here it is the same God who hovered over the face of the deep to bring order to chaos is now hovering over their storm over their deep over their darkness in order to do what to bring order to their chaos he's this God that wants to reveal himself to you that it doesn't matter how chaotic your storm in your world may be he is the one who is able to bring order to your chaos how awesome is that but do you recognize him do you recognize him? This is the question. Do you recognize him? Or are you so focused on your storm? Or are you so focused on your disaster? Or are you so focused on your disappointment? And so, much, so often what happens is that we look over our lives and there's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And our focus is on our disappointment. And while we're focusing on our disappointment, we're missing Jesus. And we're misrepresenting him. And we're calling him a ghost when in actual fact it's the Son of God who's come to save us. And we're so focused on our fear that faith has been jettisoned with all of the other stuff so we can float. We jettison our faith. We throw that out with the rest of the stuff when God says, no, this is your test. You can throw the rest of the stuff out, but never throw out your faith. Because your faith is what's going to see you through. Here's the second thing to do at a time like this. Believe that God's got it. Believe that God's got it. This is where your faith has to stay strong. You've got to believe that God's got it. Come on, this is your anchor to your soul. This is your anchor that God's got it. Because if you lose that, then it's, we're going to die. It's all over. But when you're able to say, you know what, it might look bad. 
You know what? It might look dark. You know what? God is more powerful than my storm. God is more powerful. Some of you, your ears are only tuned to the sound of the storm. Come on, retune your ears to the sound of God's voice. Because all some of you can hear is, I'm going to destroy you. You're going to die. This is the end. There is no way out. You're going to drown. You're going to fall. You're going to be crushed. You're going to be smashed. That's the voice of the enemy speaking to you. He's the voice of God. I've got this. I'm going to see you through. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. I've started this. I'm going to perfect it. I'm going to complete it. While you still have air in your lungs, it's not over. Don't give up. It's not finished. Whose voice have you tuned your ears to? I've actually gone to my dictionary and I've crossed out the word impossible. Doesn't exist for me anymore. Huh? How many of you know my dictionary is getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier? It's getting so thin. I'm just crossing out all the negative words. I've literally gone to my dictionary and crossed out the word impossible. And you say, what have you written in its place? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. All I've written is this. All things are possible to those who believe. (laughs) How many of you need to do the same? Go to your dictionary and just cross out the word impossible. And right over the top of it, all things are possible to those who believe. God has a God solution for you. See, this is, this is what happens to us, is that we have our own solution. And we tell God what the solution is to the problem. But you know what? Don't do that. Why is that? Because you open yourself up for disappointment. Because God's got a solution that's a God solution. And the God solution is connected to your future, your destiny, your purpose. And sometimes your solution isn't the God solution, but there is a God solution. Were the disciples expecting Jesus to walk on water? No. Were they expecting as soon as he got into the boat, they'd reach land? No. All they wanted was the storm to stop and then they could row back. God had a different solution to their problem. Are you saying, God, I'm willing to have your solution, the God solution, and I'm happy with that? Because when you believe that God's got it, you relax into the God solution. And you say, God, you know what? When my dad died, the God solution was for us to work with my mom, to work with our family, to resolve the fact that people live and people die. That was, there was no, raise him up from the dead. That's, that's, that's our solution. Come on, I'll go, I'll go to Newcastle and I'll just rebuke that spirit of death and I'll raise my father up from the dead. No, no, the God solution for us was just to accept the scenario and navigate to the new reality the new normal. And I can still remember my heart breaking when after two weeks, I left my mum. And uh, ever since I can remember, whenever I drove away from their place, because they have, they have a, um, an alleyway at the back of their place. And so whenever we drive away, mum and dad would get up on top of the hill because they live right on top of the hill and they'd wave all the way. And I'd see in the revision mirror, I'd see my mum and dad waving as I went down the hill to go off to Sydney. Two weeks after my dad died and I went for the first time, left my mum. 
she was on the top of the hill by herself waving and i and i'll be honest with you the tears started to flow down my face but you know what i was expecting that's the new reality for me this is the new normal now and you know what the joy now is is that whenever i go visit my mum now she's on the top of the hill waving but the day's going to come when i go there and there's not going to be anybody waving anymore and it's like my mum's gone as well but you know when that day comes god will give us the grace to be able to navigate that if it was up to me she'd live forever hello she would live forever but it's not up to me there are god's solutions to our problems and that's what we've got to believe look the last thing and i want to finish because my time is up first thing you've got to do is look for jesus in your storm secondly believe that god's got it and number three it is invite jesus into your boat this is what happened in verse 21 then they then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going come on (laughs) don't leave jesus out of the boat bring him in just bring him into the boat invite him into your world invite him into your chaos invite him into your situation invite him in to your life don't leave him out what a joy it is to say jesus come into the boat how many of you know that if jesus is in the boat the boat's not going to sink if jesus is in the boat nothing's going to happen that's bad because he's in the boat invite him in invite him in some of you are going through more stress than you need to because jesus is not in your boat see i don't believe there's anyone here that doesn't believe in jesus i think you all believe in jesus you wouldn't be here if you didn't but i don't think every single one of you have put jesus into the center of your life see some of you still got the steering wheel you're driving you might be getting advice hey jesus which way do you want me to go but you know what putting jesus in the boat is hey jesus steering wheel's yours i'm going to be the passenger you drive you lead you are the lord you are the lord what does that mean you are in control i'll do it your way not you do it my way i'll do it your way see that's what becoming a christian is all about it's not just believing in jesus it's making him the lord of your life can can i just say something that'll really shock you the devil believes in jesus you say what yeah not only does he believe he goes a step further he actually trembles when you say jesus not only does he believe he goes well what's the difference he's not made jesus the lord of his life so believing is wonderful but making him the lord inviting him in (laughs) revelation chapter 3 verse 20 behold i stand at the door and knock I want to come in i want to come into your life i want to take control i want to show you the way through i want to help navigate this boat through the storms of life will you let me in no 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 everything's fine here water's coming in we've got no life vest it's like hey i want to come in it doesn't look too good from where i'm standing everything's under control Jesus is okay let me in I'll only do you good I'll only forgive your sins give you eternal life I'll give you a 
got to do it my way. That's where Frank Sinatra missed it. He ended up doing it his way, and it was the bad way. I want to write a new song. I did it God's way. Finish off my life singing that song. I did it God's way. And then I not only get the, the applause of this world, But when you're able to sing it, I did it God's way, you'll get the applause of heaven. Welcome into heaven. So folks, this is the bottom line here. You do it God's way, you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You'll believe that he died on the cross for you. You'll open up your heart and you'll say, Jesus, lead me through life. I will follow wherever you go. And when when you do this, your life will take on new meaning. You'll be able to navigate. You'll have a peace when you come to the storms. You'll be able to have this confidence that doesn't matter what comes your way, God's going to help you come out the other end because he that started this good work is going to complete it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.